0: This episode of Earl Gray is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrialcom FM. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org.
1: This is Dwight Schultz. I played Reginald
0: Barkley, otherwise known as Broccoli, on Star Trek Next Generation
2: and Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM.
0: Welcome listeners to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your host, Amy Nelson. Now Joe is away this week, but I have with me the wonderful Justin Ozer. Justin, how are you doing today?
2: Doing great, although, of course, jealous because Joe couldn't be with us because he's at Destination Star Trek having so much fun over in the UK. We're very jealous, but, uh, you know, we get to record Earl Grey, so that's always good. We
0: do, and yes, it's so wonderful seeing all the tweets and the posts and the news coming out, Uh, some good news about the Picard that uh, we've got some cameos it sounded like, right? Did you? Well, it sounded
2: like uh, Patrick Stewart was trying to tease us and play with us (laughs) for who else might be in the show. Yeah. Uh, But uh, yeah, no, it's just exciting. This Things coming in less than three months. Can you believe it? I know.
0: So exciting.
2: (laughs) Amazing. Yeah.
0: Well, we do have a couple of iTunes as we do every week. And so, Justin, why don't you start us off?
2: So we're continuing to get caught up on iTunes reviews. This one is from Rob Vaughn via Apple Podcasts in the UK from July 18th. Subject is Earl Grey, and it's a five-star review. And Rob says, this podcast is the TNG companion we should all listen to. Three great knowledgeable hosts whose love for Next Gen is infectious. Keep it up. P.S. Loving the new hosting lineup. And then gives uh, three Vulcan salutes and a thumbs up. So thanks so much, Rob. Glad you're enjoying it. And enjoying uh, what was a new lineup then with with Joe. So yeah, we listeners, we just really appreciate and love these iTunes reviews. Just keep them coming. Yeah,
0: well, we have Rose uh, via Apple Podcast from the U.S. and that's August 27th. So we're getting pretty close to where we are now. Uh, the subject is the next generation of podcasting, and also a five star review. And Rose says, this show is great. If you are a TNG fan and are looking for some great insights into this classic show, then look no further. Be warned, though, the Trek FM podcast family will quickly monopolize your time. Just wonderful. Well, thank you, Rose. And there are many shows to enjoy. That's how I got started. And boy, I was listening to everything that Trek FM put out. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, lots of uh, stuff here. I don't know what the count is now, but uh, it's probably over something like 4 or 5,000 episodes <laughs> across all of Trek FM shows over the years. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. it's good. But don't be You know, inundated. You can jump right in.
2: (laughs) Like you don't have to listen to the 296 or 297 before this to to listen to this one
0: for sure. Just come on in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we also have been getting some very wonderful emails and just these are so wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, Justin, why don't you read what we've got?
2: Yeah, so we received an email. I hope I'm pronouncing this name right. uh, Azra Kriti in Greece. And... Uh, They say, I only recently rewatched almost all of Star Trek and also started this Earl Grey podcast. I listened from the very first episodes onward and from the new ones as they come out. Thank you for all the great content and fun from the older hosts and new. Both make me feel at home. Thank you. So thank you so much. We really appreciate the feedback. And you went back and, uh, you know, listened to all of the (laughs) hundreds of episodes to get caught up through all the different hosts that we've had on this show. Um, And we love hearing from listeners from all over the world. So I think that might be one of the first emails we've gotten from Greece. I so
0: know fantastic. that is yeah. exciting.
2: And we don't have Joe here to give them a, a greeting in Greek.
0: Yes. But, oh
2: well. <laughs> he would try at least.
0: He would. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are going to hold off our Babel conference feedback for next time when we have Joe with us. Um, but we have a very special guest today. Jen Tift is coming to us and, uh, so, Jen, welcome to Earl Grey. This is your first time, and I don't think our listeners really know too much about you. So, why don't you tell us uh, your Star Trek story?
1: Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. I appreciate it. Um, my Star Trek story is, is pretty common. You know, I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan. I, you know, started when I was a little kid watching, you know, TOS reruns. Um, and then, you know, they, next generation came out and, you know, it was a, a modern, you know, take on, on, on TOS, a modern 80s take. And, uh, I was just hooked from there. You know, Uh, I've, I've loved every, uh, incarnation of Trek, uh, from, from you know, original series on and, and I just, that's I great.
0: Now you have a podcast snap Trek. So when did that get started and why did you feel that you wanted your voice out there? <laughs>
1: uh, we, snap has been going for about a year now and it's, it's been a lot of fun. uh, uh Ross, Ross Webster and I, um, uh, what we do is it's kind of like a, a game show type podcast. So basically we take two episodes of Star Trek that are sort of uh, tangentially related in some way, you know, by theme or character or, or some, you know, in some little way. Uh, and we put them against each other in different categories. Um, and we play, we play it for points, but we don't play to win. Like it's not an adversarial thing, it's just, uh, we use different categories to try to, you know, spark conversation about the different episodes and try to, try to look at episodes you might not have watched a while in a while uh, in a new light and it and it's been a lot of fun, um, but yeah, podcasting is is just a
0: it joy. is <laughs>
1: it's been a joy for me, which I'm sure you guys understand. Oh, for
2: sure, it can be addictive. We do it every week, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I listeners, Snap is is a great podcast. Really enjoy listening to it and i think it's it's great sometimes the themes you come up with i was listening to the most recent one which was masks from tng and the reckoning from ds9 and and it is pretty funny as you guys pointed out that there're actually two episodes in star trek where people are possessed by ancient alien gods <laughs> like <laughs> It's, it's kind of insane that you can do that so. actually think about yeah. it
1: yeah, yeah so. and they're so different too yeah. that's what's so funny about it you know it's it's basically the same the same idea but they go in vastly
2: very different, different directions. directions yeah yeah so it's <laughs> so it's fun just to see what two episodes but, that you guys pick yeah
0: wow well, oh. and uh, thank you thank you that's so much. very interesting so listeners uh can find snap trek on any platform yep. great yep. I'm going to have to go and subscribe. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah,
1: please. Thank you. <laughs> it's funny, too, because it, it's funny to um, to think of episodes that, you know, might not be as strong, like that pairing, you know, Mass, you might not think is as strong of an episode as The Reckoning, but it depends on what category you're right. talking about, you know? Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one, of, one of my favorite, I always bring this up, one of my favorite Star Trek facts is that Threshold beat the Visitor for, for now. Oh. Yeah, for, for <laughs> category, makeup, right? The category was makeup. Yeah. Yes. In yeah. <laughs> you know? just that one category, threshold was better. Yeah, than the visitor, right? for sure. you yeah. could see that.
2: Definitely. Well, and we're fans of masks here. We yeah, did a whole fun. episode with yeah. a, a guest basically talking about how much we love it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so. it was really yes. good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's a lot to love
0: yeah. in masks. <laughs> well, we are going to have I, what I'm just planning on a great discussion about Keiko. And I know uh, she's not generally one of the characters that people say, oh, I love Keiko. Like there's usually a few people, you know, that they would prefer over Keiko. But uh, we wanted to talk about Keiko because I think that she does play an important role in TNG and also in Deep Space Nine. And, and we'll probably focus mostly on the next gen, but she was in eight episodes of TNG and 19 episodes in Deep Space Nine. So, Jen, let's start with you. What are your general impressions of Keiko?
1: I adore Keiko O'Brien. So I'll start off there. That's, that's This is the place I'm coming from. <laughs> I love her. Um, I And I frankly, I don't get the hate for her. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I'd like to... I mean, you're free to like and not like whichever characters be, speak to you, but I, I, I've i yet to see like specific examples from the, the haters, you know, of, of why, why they have such a, such a strong dislike mm-hmm. for her, mm-hmm. <laughs> where that's coming from. I mean, she's, she's a strong woman. She's independent, but she's also loyal. She's extremely compassionate. Um, and, and there's just so much to like about her. So I'm interested too get
0: to get to chat about her today and Justin what are your general impressions of Keiko
2: yeah well and and I should say I already knew you're a big fan of of Keiko Jen that's why (laughs) I invited you on to talk about her but but yeah I think it's pretty interesting because you know the first time I went through TNG and DS9 I wasn't really connected into the the fandom for me as I've said on this podcast before I got into Star Trek pretty much much more recently and saw uh tng for the first time in 2010 and i think ds9 was actually 2014 (laughs) so relatively recently but that was kind of before i was really kind of plugged into the fandom and what people thought about things so you know when i first found that people didn't like keiko i was like oh that's kind of interesting Uh, and i've heard different criticisms like you know she's i don't know harsh or you know not good to miles in some way or whatever but then, then I was like, okay, the next time I rewatch TNG and DS9, let me just like take a look at this through the different episodes. And I was taking a look at it and I was like, I don't really see like why people really don't like this character. I, I think, you know, as as you, you pointed out, you know, she's, she's strong. She has, you know, an interesting career being a botanist and then a teacher. And and she has her own life like outside of of what miles does even although the first episode that we see her it's because of miles really but that's just how the writers set it up but but i think she she is is pretty interesting she's pretty loyal she's kind of unlucky like miles and being possessed and yes. having difficult times sometimes but but I
1: the whole poor o'brien family i know
2: i know and molly, molly even suffers as absence. well yeah. yeah they didn't have like a yoshi must suffer episode thankfully <laughs> right.
1: but but I guess well I guess he kind of did too. It was probably pretty traumatic being switched from Keiko to Oh
2: that's Hera. true. Be- be- before he was <laughs> born. Way, oh boy, right? yeah. But but yeah, like I I just think in general like hey, I kind of like this this character. I think that um you know, I think as as some people may have pointed out like the the kind of interaction that that they have, maybe it's a little different than you see for other couples on on Star Trek, but maybe it's a little bit more um realistic like there are some days where you're just like you're tired or you're grumpy or whatever right and you're not going to have like the perfect interaction but at the end of the day you love each other and you're going to make it work so i kind of love that aspect too yeah so I, i like keiko overall
0: yeah uh it was interesting jen as you were saying it's like i don't understand why people don't like her and i was like all these reasons of, oh, yeah, I know why people don't like her. <laughs> so we might get into that.
2: So, I mean, what do you think? What do you think of the big reasons?
0: Well, uh, okay. She comes across, and I'm not sure if it's written that way or if it's the choice uh, that, oh, I do apologize. Who's the, the actor that plays Keiko?
2: Rosalind Show. Yes. Uh,
0: if Rosalind makes that choice to make her be so annoying, but she can be (laughs) a big nag and just constantly Mm. grinding and, and riding miles. And I really noticed it in DS nine, a little bit in TNG, uh, but just, but then I'm like, well, was she written that way? And I wanted to pose this question to you because we see Keiko Uh, And wanted to talk about her, just sort of her in the family realm. And then we'll we'll discuss later about her career. But, you know, we see uh, there's mention that uh, she's a wonderful granddaughter. But the wife and the mother aspect of Keiko in TNG, like she gets sort of on the nerves of Miles. And he just sort of seems to like push her off and push her away. And there's a few times when they're loving, but there's times where she's just a nag.
2: It's so interesting that you say that, Amy, because I in, in one of my last three watches, I was paying attention to that. And I really felt like the scenes where you could perceive it as nagging or annoying were less than people think that it actually is. But I, maybe sometimes certain things make enough of an impression. But like as I was watching it episode by episode, I was like, it doesn't, at least I thought happened as much as you might think. I don't yeah, know.
1: I, I, I agree. I agree. Justin, I, I, I didn't see too much. I, I'd like to hear the specific examples <laughs> of her nagging because everybody says that and, and they have that impression of her, like, like of just her as a person. But as far as like, like when, when they're having arguments, there are some arguments, but her and Miles both are kind of, Equally at fault in the arguments, and I think mm-hmm. Keiko maybe gets more of the negativity surrounding those arguments than O'Brien does for whatever. Because reason. we don't
2: know her um, as well, maybe you know.
1: Yeah, like we're all, well, we're automatically on O'Brien's side because we right. love him. We love Chief O'Brien. Yeah, um, but I, I also my one of my theories about this though is that um, she, I think she suffers from Pulaski syndrome a little hmm. bit. So oh, let me tell you this. So so Pulaski. Is a really cool character. She, I, I love the character. Yeah.
2: She's,
1: yeah, she's amazing. But but people, I think one of the reasons people dislike her is because our introduction to her is that she was mean to Data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is that's going to stick with you. I mean, no one's mean to my my man Data. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna back him up. Right. So I I, I think that sticks with people. So they just you know like that's that's her character. The first time we meet, Keiko she's calling off her wedding chief o'brien yeah you know what i mean so it's the same thing it's it's her being negative towards a character we love uh-huh. and that i think just i think that first impression i, th- I really think
2: there might be something with to people, that because like you know? when i think of that the example of pulaski there there is that that example but then like if you look at season two through the lens of like what happens with pulaski her her character grows quite a bit, and you don't see as much of that harsh side, and and she's more understanding right. toward Data, and she has actually some really great scenes with Worf and Picard, and like there's all this stuff that happens for the character to grow, but people don't think about that because the first impression can be really important, right? right. <laughs> and I think that can really yes. <laughs> maybe stick with people. Yeah. But you're right, in in Data's Day, she's introduced as oh, this is somebody that Data introduced. Uh, Miles too. And, you know, she's the one that's standing in the way of Miles O'Brien's happiness, right. By being so <laughs> exactly. obstinate about it. And data's kind of clueless. I think it's a really great episode, but it, I think you're right. It does kind of put her in the yeah. position of, of being like the bad person in the episode. That's, that's keeping right. the character we love from being happy. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I absolutely uh, agree with you that she does sort of get that negative And I, Wanted to follow up because where we see Keiko being nagging, like one instance is when they're doing this food exchange, uh, I think, and like in The Wounded, and you know, she's making her favorite dish of the sea kelp and you know, and
2: plankton loaf is that yes,
0: (laughs) and then Miles doesn't like it, and so again, because we like Miles we're not going to like what she's introducing. And so, yeah, yeah, we want Miles to have his good Irish food and potatoes. And think of the yeah, yeah but and he's, so, not, he's not
2: being very open minded about it. He's just like, Ugh, yeah. And so thing. he's
0: just as close minded <laughs> as she mm-hmm. is about, oh, well, I don't want to eat all that. I mean, she's, you know, put, you know, puts her nose up to that. But it's like. That was sort of in reaction to Miles and him not liking her food. And so I think you're mm. right that because we like Miles, we know Miles, we're going to be loyal to Miles, that she comes in. And that's just one example of the
1: nagging,
2: you know. I don't know if I caught call it nagging.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I, I already watched that scene because that's I mean, that's such an infamous scene. I'm really glad you brought that one up because it's like painful to watch. This is not a conversation that you would think married people would have. This is more of like a third date kind of conversation. Mm. <laughs> like they, they should, should know, know she then. should know by now what they like to eat yes. for breakfast and be okay. You know, that's and another point. That I'm like, why are they married you know? yeah. and don't
0: know what <laughs> each other like? I don't get it.
1: Right, right. And they're talking about his his mom and what she used to cook for him. That's these are things you think they would have already discussed before they reach the point where they're they're a married couple. Um, but when you watch that scene that neither one of them are, are are like mean about it you know what i mean like i don't see it she's like she's not saying eat your plankton loaf which is i think a lot of people you know kind of remember in their head because they remember that, that scene because it's so awfully yes. written and well, it's okay you know what so I mean?
2: wait wait though the, the, But the, that's not the, what happens that that scene though is one episode after they get married i think it's plausible that right. they don't necessarily oh. know all that stuff yet I don't come
0: know. on like when you know. go on a date no. you're going out to dinner and you're that's like the standard date number one right mm-hmm.
2: yeah like, maybe, maybe things maybe are different I in the 24th think. century maybe <laughs> but okay all right i mean i i, I but okay so, so, so i mean
1: you could be assuming this is the first
2: time they've shared breakfast together yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's <laughs> a, a wild special. assumption maybe
1: they're, 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 <laughs> <laughs> right and then that would make sense because this is this is they're eating breakfast and yeah and, uh, I mean I could see him not have ever wanting him not have ever ma- making that particular casserole for her and not know what the capers are later <laughs> but as far as like him not him being like what is this plankton loaf you're eating versus him wanting steak and potatoes that seems like a conversation you would have before you decide to marry. I, I think
2: someone. it's like a like a, a <laughs> classic disagreement. Like Miles, you should eat this; yeah. it's healthy. I want you to live a long time. And he's like, "I don't. It's going to taste terrible. I want something that tastes good, right, even if right. it kills me." You know. So like, I, I I don't know if I see it as as nagging. It it it's more. She's yeah. just she's just like Miles. Why don't you eat better? This isn't good for you. Although I don't know if it's really explained when they replicate this stuff if it really is done in such a way that it's not going to like give them heart disease or whatever or if it's
1: i've always wondered that yeah like do you get your standard (laughs) vitamin and minerals and everything you need in whatever form is taken (laughs) the replicated food takes i don't know yeah but Probably based on what she said she yeah, was she, but, she was saying how chock full of
2: right right yeah. like that, that is, that's that's one scene in <laughs> the wounded know. and then in data's day yeah. where she's trying to call off the wedding but i mean she's in like six yeah. other episodes of of tng and, and i think that i don't know maybe we'd have to look at each of them i, I don't know if there are moments like that but maybe those first two just kind of stick with people
1: I think there are, there are a lot of uh, scenes with Keiko in in Next Generation in particular where they use her as the the stand-in of like newlywed problems. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like like even that one is like like you were saying, uh, eat this it's healthy. Oh, it's gonna say cerebral. That's like a traditional newlywed type mm-hmm. problem. Um, there's one scene where she talks about Miles leaving his socks on the right. floor. Uh, you know what I mean? So, so hey, that's it's, annoying it's all those to leave your socks on the floor. <laughs> Right, (laughs) but that could you know, made some and like she wasn't really nagging, she was telling the story of like he left his socks on the floor, and I wasn't gonna pick them up because if I picked his socks up, then I'd be doing it for the rest of my life.
2: And and actually, I I (laughs) remember that scene now, I think I think Miles kind of takes it in stride and laughs at Mm -hmm. it, it's not a big deal.
1: Yeah, it seems like they're being cute, kind of cutesy with it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they give her every tr- like stereotypical sitcom newlywed thing. I mean, she literally gives birth in, an, you know, in a, a less than desirable yeah. situation. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's there's just all these like they just use her as that, you know, st- standard care- type mm, of character. I
2: can see that.
0: And yeah. Generation. And you're right. It's this typical this is a woman who's in major pain and she's going to be Throwing every <laughs> verbal lashing and miles, why did you right. do this to me? And uh, you know, and just tearing well, and it he's up.
2: Not there and, and warfare. Yeah, warf. You know,
0: whoever warf. <laughs> is there, the wrath of this, you know, woman giving birth. You know, and so that sort of tends to fall in line with that nagging.
2: I, th- I think what people don't remember is, you know, for example, in in the wounded, I think it is. Where she's talking with with miles about like his feelings about Cardassians and he I think he lets slip some epithet or something she's like hey that's that's not cool <laughs> I'm paraphrasing of course but which is a really you know great thing that, that she should be doing but I think that people tend to to forget that that she was the one in that scene that was kind of questioning him on what seems like might be something racist <laughs> that he's saying or thinking about I, right yeah.
1: She calls him out in in D space nine too, Cart in Cardassians. Um, Maybe like, that's what know, I'm thinking of. I think that might be what you're okay. thinking of. Thinking of. Um, no, okay, and then The Wounded. Just, there's, there's something in the says, wounded she, as well, says, but
2: it's a little different.
1: Yeah, She's, she she says that was a very ugly thing you just said. You know, she she like stands. Okay, right you're up
2: to right. Him that's in and, Cardassians, and he, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, but but you're right. But well, in the wounded too, though it she, is. It, it's 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 overlooked in the wounded too how much she has miles's number like she you know when they're when they're having this i don't remember if it's the breakfast or the dinner scene the, um, the dinner he's, he's talking about how oh, oh a lot of people are uh you know are really really uh, you know still
0: don't yeah, like the war napkin. is over weird
1: and yeah the war is over you know trying to fill her out and she's she's like you know she tries to like lead him to the realization himself that he's having these these feelings you know instead of you know, That's right. Yeah. Instead of like hitting him over the head with it, you know, she tries to lead him, which is a, kind of a nice. Way yeah, to I felt
0: it was that discussion that actually led him to come to the conclusion when he was talking to the Kardashian at Ten Forward, and you know, he says, "It's not you, I hate. It's who I've become because of you." And I think it was because of that conversation that he had with Keiko and because she was. You know, listening to him and not bonk, bonk, but just like sort of posing a question like, well, you know, what's going on with you type of thing. And I I really do believe that Keiko was instrumental in him coming to that conclusion.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: So So with her as, (laughs) oh, something else, Justin?
2: No, I was going to say. So it's kind of a mix of of those things. It's not all like you know, what we could perceive as nagging or annoying.
0: Yeah. And so we have her, um, we talked about giving birth and, you know, having wonderful Molly. Um, so how do you think she's written and how she portrays being a mother on the Enterprise D? Um,
1: on in next gen, in, in particularly, they don't, you know, obviously go into more, a lot more detail in deep space nine. Um, Oh, uh, we see her being protective uh, of Molly. I, I, I think in particular the episode power Play, yep. uh, where you know she she's you know with Molly intent forward when everything goes down and and she she makes sure that when she's taken hostage that someone else is Mollys safe and out of the way and and that you know that scene at the end where everybody is is bravely like, I'm willing to die you know, to, to save her when she's, I'm willing to die to save my child, mm-hmm. you know, to protect my child. And, and we, we see her be, being as brave as all the Starfleet officers in that episode. You know, she's a civilian and you wouldn't know it. Whenever she's in any of these types of situations, you wouldn't know she wasn't in Starfleet.
0: Yeah. She gets the mama bear feel. out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: And also, Uh, I was thinking of Rascals and she was just so torn up that Molly didn't recognize her, Uh, you know, and that would just be, Uh, I know, so heartbreaking. And I thought she (laughs) really did a good job to not push herself on Molly. I'm your mother, you know, and, but to have that understanding from Molly's perspective.
2: Yeah, and Miles is super uncomfortable. He's just like, nothing's <laughs> wrong, but you look 12. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, boy. What a, what a oh, situation. It's like, I'm still your <laughs> wife. It's like, yes, but I hope this gets resolved. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know? like, that, that, that kid actor did
1: such a good She
2: did job a great – I think all the kids out, in you know, that episode – Miles
1: Edwards, I'm <laughs> still your wife. You know, she just – you but you're right, yeah, Justin. All, like you were saying, all the kids in Rascals are
2: just yeah. It's
1: it's incredible. I mean, it, a great job.
2: yeah, it, and it's interesting, like when you episode. think because we've I think we've kind of talked through a lot of the major highlights of what Keiko does in in TNG. It's it's like she's there to get married to Miles, and she talks to them about Cardassians and the wounded and about food. <laughs> and there's a couple like little things in Night Terrors and in and Theory, and then Disaster. She's giving birth. Uh, violations there's that little scene at the beginning where there's the memory that these aliens are pulling out which scene. is a really cool scene little actually little and it tells yeah. you a little bit more about her personality and then there's power play where she's you know defending molly and then rascals where she's a kid and like that's it <laughs> like that's it's eight episodes but it's it's you get like these little bits and pieces but i think even from those bits and pieces i think i i liked Keiko at the time and i was happy that you know Miles and Keiko were coming over to DS9, you know? You
0: know, I wanted to talk about uh, that little bit in Violations because I think that's the one part where that is true Keiko character development, where the others, like you said, there's a purpose that's to explore Miles' character, you know?
2: And it's the only appearance, I think, in TNG where um, where Miles isn't in at least one scene with Keiko.
0: Oh, Yeah. So we really get to see her, you know, being this granddaughter to this wonderful, you know, grandmother who she just adored and had the, you know, the lovely name. Oh, dear. I was I had it here. Uh, Anyways, uh, you know that she and that she. Obachan. uh, Obachan. (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, and so we have this memory and it really grounds us. And we get to know her and that she has this history, this family history, and she really knows who she is. I almost wish that we would have gotten that a little bit before because, you know, Violations was so late in the series that it's like we really got to see her character and understand why she loves all of this, you know, Japanese heritage and the foods and the, the ink brushes and stuff like that.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's a really great scene, and it tells you more about her. You know, as as I reflect on it, what I wish would have happened was that earlier, before Data's Day, that you got to see Keiko as this botanist character that has some involvement in a couple of stories. You see Data introduce her to Miles, and then you kind of see it go along. I don't know if, if... back then with the kind of episodic television they had, they could have done that, but that would have been really great if your introduction was not the person that's going to marry Miles O'Brien and like wants to stop the wedding, but if it was somebody who's like, you get to know her as a botanist and her personality and then kind of see it work its way through until you get to something like Data's Day, that would have been really great.
1: Yeah, I also would have liked to have seen more of her relationship with Data. Yeah, her and Data were apparently have like, known each other for a long time, and they're close enough that she made him gave him the father of the bride role in her wedding. So you know, which is which is a neat little character. Outside thing, of like, Data's
2: day, she doesn't really have many that. meaningful scenes with him, does she? Maybe a little bit. Right, but, no, uh, I
1: don't, yeah, they kind of just dropped that. that. Yeah, the <laughs> first just,
2: time I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah. introduced by Data, and that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah.
1: and then they're getting married. <laughs> Wait,
0: what?
2: Right, yeah. I know. <laughs>
0: So the question I wanted to pose you is thinking about this, and it's like, yeah, why don't we get more Keiko? And I was thinking about all of Star Trek. Like, Star Trek is a show that's more career-based. They're out, they're exploring. It's not your typical family show. And as, as I was thinking about, like, even shows on TV right now, like, you either, your genre is going to be a family-based show or it's going to be a career-based show. Right, yeah, a or a lawyer, or a lawyer show. show or doctor <laughs> show. <laughs> and you're there. not going to, yeah. it's, I mean, you do get the interminglings of family, like in like your soap opera type of things. But as far as like episodic TV goes, there, I don't see Star Trek focusing on the family life because what we see in Star Trek is the adventure and what happens when you're on duty, where in this situation, Keiko is going to be a wife and a mother and that's what's happening off duty. And it doesn't seem to fit in.
2: Yeah, but I, I, I think like it's interesting that you say that because I think of it more as Keiko is a civilian and not in Starfleet. And that's why she's kind of, a little bit maybe hard for them to, to, to handle sometimes because I think of all of the Star Trek shows at their core, they aren't about, you know, like following a traditional family or family structure, but the crew that you see are like a family in every series. And Keiko is kind of like outside of that because she's not in Starfleet, right? And maybe if she was, if she was like a bridge officer or something like that and was married to Miles, maybe you would see her more. I don't know, but
0: um yeah she's on the fringes like you say yeah
2: yeah but 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 like on this ship the enterprise d there's supposed to be a lot of civilians but you don't really get to see them very much do you
1: yeah i i mean they could have they could have came up with the reason that they needed a botanist you know what I mean? <laughs> some kind of alien flower you know
2: yeah i mean kind of on the original series them. they would you know constantly I mean? bring it like hey here's the expert on this bring them down you know Like she could have been a Starfleet botanist or something. I don't know. Right.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's an interesting choice to make her not Starfleet now that I think about it. mm
2: -hmm.
1: I mean, but I guess you're right. I mean, there are supposed to be a a whole bunch of civilians. Yeah.
2: Either people that are part of of families or maybe they're, I don't know if they really get into much besides Keiko as like civilian scientists that are there, not in Starfleet. There must be.
1: Because they talk about the science, some of the different science labs that they mm-hmm. have. But. Yeah,
0: and she goes to work at some of them, and obviously in the arboretum. But is that just yeah. more like volunteer work or just her hobby slash interests? I don't.
2: I mean, I I don't know. But like, if so, I think she was already on the Enterprise D, right? Uh, so she was there in some kind of capacity.
0: That's why I sort leadership. of thought she was in like. Starfleet, but.
2: She's not, She's not, for
0: sure.
1: She's okay. not. No.
0: Because yeah. I was like, you definitely no. need a botanist. I mean, the ship is exploring right. <laughs> and you're going to go and, you know, bring plants and stuff and you want to explore and that's new life.
2: Yeah, but you're not necessarily going to get the best experts that you need from people who are in Starfleet. I would think there have to be some civilians like, oh, this person has a specialty in this that we need better than anyone in Starfleet who's available to be on this ship. So I think that's why they would have civilian scientists.
1: I mean, because the military does that, too, like contracts, uh, you know, with with contracts, yeah, with different science labs and everything, civilian science labs.
2: Right. Because the people who have signed up to join the military won't necessarily have like all of that specialty that you need. So they'll be like, hey, the civilian person, let's give them a contract or have them help out with this or whatever. It makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a good segue into her career of being a botanist and then in Deep Space Nine becoming an elementary teacher. And this is just one of my picks with her why she's. And again, I blame the writers, but you're not going to take a botanist and then all of a sudden make them an elementary teacher. I'm sorry. As a teacher, I find it offensive. I
2: can see that. Although I think in the situation on Deep Space Nine, they didn't have anybody who wanted to start a school or maybe had the specialties. So maybe she was the the option. No, right? No, you don't think yeah, so? No. This, okay. This
1: is more like 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 their their other option is just studying on computers. Yeah,
0: with the so I think this is the, video. I mean like
1: like people homeschool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. In children of science, oh, yeah, it's a good reference. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I guess I've never thought of it from that from that perspective, but I, but I, I but I think here that I mean when you, the children are basically just running wild on the promenade now. so I, I think someone who you know it, it's at least better to organize them in a classroom. I mean I mean she's not she's not it sounds you know she you can get the lessons. I, I mean, it's better than the alternative, which is just nothing.
2: yeah, well, I, I think in, <laughs> you know what I mean? in Amy's ideal world. In Deep Space Nine Season One, they would have been like, oh my goodness, we need a teacher. And then they would have have uh, tried to get some help, maybe from like the Bajoran Ministry of Education or something, to find a teacher to send them there, right? That's, That's even what you would do.
0: Yeah. Uh, that would be Plan B.
2: Plan, what's Plan A? Plan A: a send you're you there?
0: in Starfleet, you're in the United Federation of Planets, you send someone. You get a substitute teacher. You get, I have changed schools so many times because I want to go here. I want to go here. No, they lost a teacher. Guess what? You assign someone in. They're Starfleet. It's an assignment. You go where they assign you. So that would have been plan A. And I love your idea, Justin, of going down to the Bajorans and getting someone from their education department. It's closer. Yeah. It. But I either mean, way, yeah.
2: you... like it, I think I think the thing is when when they were bringing O'Brien over to Deep Space Nine and, and Keiko, they were thinking, okay, like what is she going to do? But they they could have probably just continued her being a botanist, or I don't know, maybe running an arboretum on the in Deep Space Nine or something. I I don't know. And then later she has like these different projects. She goes to Bajor and other places, right? But it seems like they had a little a little struggle with that. But, I mean, given the issues that you have with her being a, a teacher, I think they do use that well early on in terms of, especially, you know, in the hands of the prophets where she's against Kai Nguyen and and everything that, that she's dealing her with. her finest hour. It's, yeah, it's probably the, the best Keiko episode. But, I mean, like, do you think, given that you don't like how it comes about, I mean, do you think she, that she's a good teacher and that she's suited to the, the role overall from what we see?
0: Yeah, so... With that aside, listeners, you understand I'm still a little worked up about it. Um, (laughs) No, you're right. She definitely stands up for the curriculum, which I think she is right. Um, She is teaching the kids, it seems, in an orderly fashion that she is following curriculum, which is very important, and she seems to have a discipline under control and she's, you know, going to the parents and notifying parents when there are issues, like she's doing all the good teacher things. So her as a teacher, just make, just seeing her make that transition is a credit to her because although what I feel that Deep Space Nine did here is like, oh, anyone can be a teacher. And so that gets me the wrong way, but um, that she does actually become a good teacher is a huge credit to her and her character
2: yeah well maybe a 24th century botanist gets an education such that (laughs) they they have a deep enough background in a lot of things okay i'm not going to convince you
0: Um, okay (laughs) so i was thinking about the short trek uh the trouble with edward and remember how everyone was complaining well she just told him to go study meteorology and it's like you can't change, you know, what was that? Climatology.
2: Oh, climatology. climatology. Yeah, sorry.
0: You just can't change, you know, from one career to the next, even though it's in the science. Well, you're a scientist, so you're going to learn this. No, she's a botanist and now she's a teacher. No, you're not going to switch it like that. It doesn't work.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's kind of unlikely. But like, I think the interesting thing is, okay, they made that choice and she has the school, she defends it and all of that. But then, you know, you start getting these threats from the Dominion, and like nobody wants to send them to school anymore, except for like Jake and Nog. So it kind of it kind of closes down, which I think is sad. Like, are they not getting educated after that? I don't know if that's really.
1: I think they. I think they left. Right. They, at that point, when the threat threat of the Dominion, all the other like the Bajoran uh, people went back to to Vegas That's or what
0: or whatever, I understood.
1: The only ones left, yeah, was Jake and Nog. Cause it was just getting too dangerous mm-hmm. on the station at that. At that point in the series hmm. and they had to shut it down Poor yeah them. yeah
2: sad, but yeah then and then after that she's kind of adrift it's like oh sometimes she'll spend some time on beijor or sometimes she'll go somewhere else you don't see her as much after that do you yeah
0: but that's because that's, she's making the choice to go right she's
2: back to botany to botany yeah yeah i think
1: that that's that's the point where she takes the assignment on mm-hmm. beijor Um, which is supposed to be, you know, just a three-month assignment, and it it, it turns into a year Right, she's on Bayshore, and then she comes back. Um, And then the other time, later on, when we don't see her, it's because Miles sent her and the kids away.
2: Right. When it got even more dangerous. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and that's,
0: you know, I just think that happened because of the ease of keeping Miles the single guy with Bashir. Right. Cause yeah. I just
1: mm. keep their bromance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I just, I, I feel really bad for their, their marriage at that point because she's, you know, not being fulfilled, but she wants to still be supportive to O'Brien. I think that's made very clear, but in the end, what is she going to do? You know? So she takes Molly and then they go and it's like, bejor like I said, isn't that far I, Miles, in my head canon, he's going down there every weekend.
1: Yeah, they're only, it says, they say they're only three hours away by shuttle to Bajor. So, uh, yeah, I, I assume they just visit all the time. I mean, that's how we got Kira Yoshi. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it was a weekend visit.
2: <laughs> right, yeah.
1: So, yeah, so I, was, and, they, and they make that comment too, like, oh, your last visit or the last time you were here and, you know, that we don't see. So, I, I, yeah, I just assume that they're this nonstop visiting
2: yeah also yeah i mean and that's such an interesting thing that happens where she's pregnant and there's an accident and it's like we had to relocate the child (laughs) to kira it's like oh Oh, man okay
1: (laughs) i really enjoy that plot line you do
2: it's pretty interesting i like it a lot wow i like it from
1: i like it from a meta perspective of it's a really neat way to deal with uh uh, not a visitor's, uh, yes. <laughs> pregnancy, so pregnancy yeah. but, but, I, but I like, but I, I, I really enjoy the relationship between Keiko and Kira during this time, the way that they bond together as, you know, mom and surrogate mom to this, this child and the way that, uh, Keiko, the way that Kira handles it like a, like a champ I mean, like, what a thing to have to unexpectedly deal with, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, I can't even imagine. It's like, five well, months, I you know,
2: guess I'm doing this months months
1: for months, this. <laughs> right? Exactly for five months. Um, and she handles it like a champ. And, and and I like the way they they explore her some of her postpartum, you know, like separation issues um, in a in a nice way. But also, I also like what it does for the character of Keiko. I like the way how she 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 fiercely advocates for Kira. And Kira's needs throughout the entire pregnancy and and the delivery and and I I, th- I think it's it's a really nice female friendship, you know, moments that happen with this plotline. I find yeah, it
0: fascinating. I never even thought about that, but you make some excellent points. You're right; she is very fierce, and she's like, "It's going to be my way. This is my baby." I mean, she's like, it, She's internalized it, and this is just an extension, you know, and. You're right. She definitely goes to bat and does everything in her power to make sure that you know Kira is comfortable, that this baby is going to be arrive healthy, and definitely will have the love of everyone involved.
2: Am, am, am I remembering right, Jen? That um, that for a while Kira is living in Miles and Keiko's quarters. Yes, is that
0: right? Yeah, Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she exactly, moves in. and
1: that's because of Keiko.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: She doesn't want to be that far from the baby. I th- I think you know is 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 part of it. Yeah. Um, and off- yeah. And uh, there's some interesting things that happen, you know, with the Miles Kira <laughs> relationship yeah. too during mm. that time. <laughs> but uh, we don't have to go there. But
2: Kiko doesn't seem Keiko. very bothered by it. She's but, uh, like, whatever. Yeah. No,
1: no, because she.
2: But O'Brien's like, oh, um, am I getting too close to Kira? Mm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I find that whole thing really interesting Interesting. that they made that choice. And I think it's a much better choice than what you might have typically seen in that era, which is like, you know, let's just like try to hide it underneath clothing or they get fat or whatever. I hate that kind of thing. It's like, let's just (laughs) deal with the reality. The actor's pregnant and we're just going to find some sci-fi way to do this, which is...
0: Well, and to bring up a discussion you know, in our society of surrogate mothers and how important they are and the role that they play and, you know, to women who can't have children and, but still have, want the possibility of a family. Like I, it's a great writing point, you know, for us to discuss and, and to see how well, like I said, uh, Kira and Keiko get along. Like that's a, a good functioning relationship between those two, like I said, a a good bond between them.
2: Yeah. It's a really good point. And someone who's a surrogate mother, I'm trying to think like other examples in star Trek, not coming up with much. (laughs) So it is pretty, pretty unique. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about it, but like that way before. Yeah.
0: So, uh, Justin and Jen, I wanted to ask, uh, is Keiko in the books at all? Are there any storylines? Yeah. Or is she a, a character that's just there?
2: You know, like, I and and I, I was looking this up because I was looking on Memory Alpha just to refresh my memory of all the stuff that happens in, you know, the 27 episode she's in. But uh, yeah, it says that she's in 25 books, which is more than I would have thought. Do, do you read some of the Star Trek novels, Jen? You
1: know, it's, it's funny. I just started... Um, I, I had never gotten into it because I didn't like to, um, kind of mix in my head what was actually on screen versus what was in the, you know, in the books, you know, I would have gotten confused with everything. Um, but now I'm really enjoying it. I, I, I've, I've just, I, I started with the Trek book club reading what, you know, their book every month, which is fun. Um, and now, now I'm really getting into it a little bit more. I still don't want to read discovery books. Why? Because it's still going on and I think that'll mess me up with what's on screen, but now I want to go back and read the <laughs> It's it's funny, like
2: I've 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 heard book. I've read so many at uh, uh, two yeah, two hundred and sixty the... <laughs> or something at this point. Yeah. But like I don't know, somehow I can usually keep it straight, like, okay, that happened in the books yeah, or
1: my mind doesn't work that or
2: way. Or it can like add something like I'm watching something like, Oh, this thing happens right. later. But um yeah. but yeah, like I, I had I, I know I've read probably most of the books that have, have Keiko because she she is there in the post series novels because at the at the end of, of ds9 o'brien's going to go to be a professor at starfleet academy uh, on earth and keiko's going to go with him but at a certain point in the books they actually go back to cardassia uh, post-war um and that's that and that's pretty interesting i'm trying to remember it's been a while since i've read that book what happens but but you do see her and i think brian eventually comes back to deep space nine there's like this whole bunch of stuff that happens so it's like she's there but i wouldn't say except for maybe that one book where they're on post-war cardassia that that she's important to the books but but she is is there but is still alive (laughs) so like they don't kill her or anything but uh, but yeah she's in a number of books which i think is pretty interesting i don't know if she's in any that came out during the series but uh, that might be interesting but yeah, I always find it interesting when they take a character and they just kind of keep going with it like that, even if it's not a character that you would, I don't know, tend to think about for that. Yeah. So the answer is yes, Amy, quite a few. Apparently. Okay, good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let's get, I mean, this has just been a very interesting discussion and brought up some points that I had forgotten. Uh, so Jen, final thoughts on Keiko and our discussion that we had today.
1: I, it was really fun to get a chance to talk about a character that is is in my mind a little bit unfairly maligned uh, and, and try to get a little bit more in in deeper into into some of some of the good points about her. Um, it's also been interesting to hear other perspectives about that too, especially the teacher thing. I, I never uh, looked at it from that angle, and that was really interesting. Uh, so I appreciated that. Uh, yeah. It's a good
0: call. Good, good, uh, good
2: discussion. Justin. Yeah. You know, like this is something that when I was thinking about topics we might have for Earl Grey, I probably came up with like two years ago. Like, let's talk about Keiko. There's never been an Earl Grey episode where we've talked about Keiko. Um, and at various times when people were going to guest, I, I was like, okay, here's a list of topics. And one of them would be Keiko. They would never choose it. <laughs> and I would be like, <laughs> we got to do this someday. And then, you know, I, I, heard that you're a big fan of, of Keiko, uh, Jen. And, uh, so I was like, Hey, why don't we have you on the show to talk about Keiko? That would be perfect. Somebody who I know would want to talk about Keiko, but yeah, it, it's, it's been interesting because as I said, like, i I think I've always liked the character, uh, and, and thought that there was, there were some really, really interesting aspects in terms of like her career, her interactions with miles, how she goes through, you know, TNG and, and DS nine, maybe especially, um, and I I like the the character you know quite a bit, and I hope if somehow some way we get Miles O'Brien and Picard or something like that, we, we'd we get Keiko as well, right? Uh, just to see what they're what they're up to all those years later. See, that's somebody that I haven't heard anybody mention. Like maybe they could come back in Picard, yeah. but um, oh, that would be, be I know we want all the. We all, but 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 yeah like I, I I think like as I look back on it I think that she's a good character brings up some really interesting discussions like the ones that we've had today and I would also say listeners if Keiko is a character that you haven't liked or that's rubbed you the wrong way um, go ahead and watch some episodes or, or scenes just to see it like overall as she goes through TNG and DS9 and and see what you think in light of our discussion um, it might change your mind and if it does, let us know. If it doesn't, let us know. I mean, either way. But but yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed this because I, again, I've wanted to talk about this character for a couple of years now.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and I was just thinking too, that I, I mean, my I love Miles, mm-hmm. uh, but he's a little bit of a hothead too. Yeah. You know, so if, if he was, so I mean, I, I guess some of their interactions might be a little, you know, kind of difficult to, to watch um you know when they do have the arguments but they both give it to each other and and i i feel like if he wasn't married to someone like keiko it wouldn't be a marriage of equals you know it, like she might get you know, she might get like lost uh, you know what i mean someone who, who couldn't like hand handle handle it the way you know give it right back to him the way keiko does so I, I kind of you know so i, I could see you know, some th- things about the relationship are negative, but uh, it's also kind of a kind of a nice marriage of of equals. There, you know.
0: Yeah, I definitely have enjoyed talking about Keiko because, yeah, I just she's not someone that I think that much about. I mean, and you know, looking over the episodes and you know, oh yeah, she was in Rascals and oh yeah, you know, she was protecting Molly in power play. And, you know, just those characteristics really do define her character, which now I look at a completely different light outside of how she became a teacher. She was a very good teacher. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, I loved her fierceness about, you know, teaching the curriculum. And so for me, She will be a teacher in my mind. And this botanist thing is sort of just this hobby thing. But, um, and that you bring up, you know, her relationship with Kira, that's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. And now that's in my forefront. Um, I absolutely think that she is important to Miles story and we get, you know, two lovely children out of their marriage and it's, we don't get to see much of a family life outside of the O'Briens in any Star Trek, you know, I would, the closest thing I could think of was, uh, Cisco and Jake, but that's not a full complete family of, you know, husband, wife, two kids, like your traditional, you know, where else do we see that in Star Trek?
2: Well, I mean, you kind of, it happens toward the end. I know, but I was going to say Tom and, and Enbonna get married and they have a kid, but it the kid is, you know, basically just born at the at end of the, the very series. At, yeah. So it's not like <laughs> the, the same thing. But but like it, it like okay, so
1: I wanted to see him have to change diapers. <laughs> like I got robbed of having to see Tom
2: Harris. You know, I'm trying to think cuz I've read the <laughs> voyage the I, I've read the Voyager post-series books. I'm trying to think if Tom changes diapers, I don't know. But but uh, but like the like an interesting point that that I've heard other people make as well is that Um, like on the next generation, it's pretty much just miles and and Keiko for like a longer term relationship. You don't really see much other than that on TNG, but on, on DS9, like when you, I think you do get to see more, especially, um, toward the end because, um, Ben does marry Cassidy and Jake is there. So you're kind of starting to. To see that and their other relationships that are going like, toward the end, Bashir and Ezri and all that stuff. So, but like, but even th- then, more... that's
0: a blended family. I'm saying traditional.
2: Well, the future isn't necessarily traditional. Anymore.
0: I know, but I'm <laughs> my point being is that we yeah. have this traditional family that we don't it see anywhere so, else. Yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's in the 24th century, but there are still going to be, you know, and it's a social commentary oh, yeah. on where we're at. So. I, I don't know. Yeah,
2: no, I, 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 can, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Like, like they get married, they have kids. Right. The kids grow, start to grow up, yeah. right? The, the O'Briens are kind of where you see yeah. that in Star Trek. As far as I can yes. think of.
1: The only other one I can think of is the Doctor's holographic family.
2: <laughs> His holographic family in real Oh, life. Yeah. yeah, and yeah.
1: Voyager.
2: <laughs> oh, and that's...
1: Which I can, I have to turn that <laughs> off. You know, ten minutes before the ending, because I just can't
2: um, handle it. So you know, sad. maybe I just really like to cry, but I always watch it to the end. It's the oh, saddest man. thing ever. Oh my gosh, ever. it is, and they're so holographic. Sad. I know, guys. I know, it's a hologram. <laughs> anyway,
1: not an sentient hologram like the doctor. Like,
2: I know, why is I know, it so sad? but 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it is a good point. Like it's a program. Like that 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 is kind of what you see, and and you actually see that more in the novels, I think, because you end up getting. Jean-Luc and, and Beverly marrying, they have a kid. And, you know, Troy and Riker marry, they have a kid. Like, there's somehow yeah, the like space for...
1: That, Amy, we'll, we'll yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, and we're going to see something like that in Picard. But but you're right, like, in, in the series, you don't see it quite in the way that you do with the O'Briens, where it's like, they got married, they had some kids, you see the kids grow up. Yep.
0: And, I mean, they're really the first... That we see in all of Star Trek. Because mm-hmm. everything, all those others were came after. Okay.
2: Yeah, I can see that.
0: All right. Well, Jen, absolutely so wonderful having you on Earl Grey. We definitely need to have you back because I had so much fun. Oh,
1: me too. Thank you so yeah. much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. That was so much fun.
0: And where can people find you and continue their discussion on why Keiko is the best character.
2: <laughs> yeah. I hope everybody who loves Keiko like reaches out to you because yes. <laughs> that would be great.
1: Uh, I'm open to, you know, either uh, <laughs> positive or negative comments. Feel free. <laughs> yeah, we'll have that discussion. You can find me on Twitter. Um, I, I'm at Ida Quarks on Twitter and I'm on there frequently. And yeah, please give me all your opinions on Keiko. <laughs> Love to talk to yeah. you.
2: By the way, I I love your Twitter handle. It's, oh, it's so memorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really wonderful to have you on today.
1: Yep. Oh, thanks so much.
0: And no, listeners, don't forget to check out her podcast, Snap Truck. Well, Justin, next week we are going to continue our badass series. And guess who we're gonna do? Riker.
2: Riker, yeah. Yeah.
0: So very excited to be thinking about some Riker moments. Listeners, maybe you can choose some and let us know. Uh, so yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I don't know, maybe I can have a window into the future and see how badass Riker is going to be in Picard.
0: Right? This might <laughs> set maybe. things up.
2: I mean, it's see- it seems like it's more just talking with uh, Jean-Luc, but... I think one thing that uh, was revealed recently was that the episode that has Riker and Troy, they're actually going to be in some way the focus of the episode. So that'll be cool. I'm looking forward to that. But anyway, yeah, I'll get my picks ready of all the, the badass Riker moments. And Joe will, too, even though he's not here. Yeah. He, his homework has been a assigned. Yes, he has his homework. <laughs>
0: Well, it's been so much fun talking about the character of Keiko O'Brien, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM.
2: Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey.
0: But good discussion. Like, I love... You know, talking about the science, and Joe, I love that you bring it up. Justin? I need to stop reading it, I'm sorry. I'm closing, doing Close my the window. final thoughts, Close and the you're window, all Justin. laughing over me.
2: Joe, you need to keep all of this, this in. Is a, this is an intervention, Justin. <laughs> okay. Close the window.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: Literary Treks.
1: I talked to Bob Klein, who I had interviewed for Saturday Morning Trek, um, And he's like, yeah, come on over let's go look through my garage and see what we find. I'm like, okay. So I drive over there and I was greeted to two, you know those fold-out tables that you have for like picnics? Two of those end-to-end with like three boxes uh, larger than file boxes and uh, like moving boxes size and just papers and folders that all had filmation on it just brought
2: out. Standard orbit.
1: I bought it. I when it first came out I played it for like 2 or 3 days and I went what is going on am I am I missing something is is just I'm not a good player so and then I checked on the reviews online and everyone agreed that it was
2: not a good game and we were all correct And introducing our newest show The Line a Star Trek Picard podcast I
1: I'm so honored that I was chosen to pick Picard and as a next generation fan i mean he was one of my favorite characters and so i wanted to and i know how he's extra special to lots of star trek fans beyond even just being the character he played on the on the series and so i really felt a huge responsibility to try to give the fans something that that was enjoyable but and, and honored who he was even though it was Staying true to the fact that he is 20 years older.
2: And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show.
0: You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link.
2: So Amy, you want a bonus question? Yes. All right. So here is the hashtag still listening bonus question for this time. So what character in Star Trek is one that you love that is generally not loved?
0: Well, the first (laughs) one, and you'll probably know, that came to my mind was from my favorite movie, which people always put at the very (laughs) last, and they shouldn't, Shinzon. I love his character. I could go on and on, and I have, so I'm not going to, but that is my answer, Shinzon.
2: Okay. So I have an answer as well. And, like, it's interesting because I I try to gauge – I mean, I think there are definitely some fans that don't like this character, so I'll go with it. So I think actually one of my favorite characters in, in Star Trek that I know some fans don't like is Ezri Dax, from Deep Space Nine, um, and I think that like for for some fans, what happened was they they saw and loved Jadzia for six seasons. She died, <laughs> and then someone is taking over just for a season. But it's the
0: Pulaski like, syndrome.
2: I mean, in, yeah, in a way, yeah. Jen has named that for us, yep. Pulaski syndrome. But but like for for me like I I do love Jadzia and I think she's a great character, but I actually found Esri even more fascinating because you get to see someone who's not prepared for this experience and how they deal with it. And I feel like sometimes that is kind of a metaphor for my life. Sometimes where something comes and like, Oh, I'm not prepared for this. What do I do? So I can totally relate to like what she's going through. And I think she goes through like a remarkable amount of character development over the course of season seven. And she's amazing in the novels as well. So that would be my pick, because I think there there are fans, I think, of Esri, but I think for maybe a lot of people, they're like, yeah, not what they were looking for.
0: Yeah, so. Great pick. Shinzon,
2: interesting. Mm. Now we just, no, no, Shinzon's dead. We can't do that. No. I was going really to no. say, Shinzon and Esri meet in the future instead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, well, that was really interesting. Um Yeah, I wonder what Joe would have picked. Oh, well, we'll just have to always wonder.
0: Yeah. Oh. We don't
2: know. We'll ask him later. Yeah, we will. So so we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up.
0: If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Gray. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show just like we did today. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com/slash Trek FM. So, Justin, can I just share with you how awesome our emails are?
2: <laughs> they are. And They're amazing.
0: I had a student. Google me. <laughs> and thankfully, because I attended and was a panelist at the Fanex convention up in Salt Lake City, um, found my name, went to trek.fm, and sent me an email through the website. I couldn't even believe it. It was so wonderful. I
2: And they were a student like 20 years ago, right? Yeah,
0: it was from my very first year <laughs> teaching. 20 years ago, I get this email. Oh my gosh, I was crying, and you, you sent me an email like, "Amy, you better check the email," <laughs> and I was like, "Why? Yeah, What's it going to, on?"
2: They they just sent it through the general form, so yeah, it went, yeah, to, us, it went yeah. to
0: everyone, and yeah, Chris Jones messaged me and was like, <laughs> "You got an email from a student," and oh my gosh, so uh, listeners, that's so we love getting emails.
2: <laughs> yeah, we really do. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. Well, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not eating plankton loaf with kelp buds and sea berries?
2: You know, I almost mentioned it during the episode, but I'm vegetarian, so I think I'd like to try some plankton loaf with kelp berries and sea, but well, I don't know, maybe (laughs) it doesn't sound like the most appetizing thing, but uh, yeah, when I'm not doing that plankton loaf, is that a thing that maybe that's just a future thing who would set the replicator for that? Anyway, (laughs) so when I'm not thinking about that, you can find me elsewhere on the network co-hosting The Line. That's our Star Trek Picard podcast. I co-host that with my friends Chrissy declerc zalagi and Brandon Shamatala. We are talking about some topics related to Star Trek, The Next Generation, and Voyager, and... Well, there's a couple episodes that haven't come out yet, so I can't reveal it. But anyway, so we have some great stuff coming up. And then we'll be talking about every single Picard episode as it comes out, as well as the short Trek that's coming out on January 9th. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So Amy, where can people contact you when you're not loving Shinzon?
0: Wow. (laughs) I'm always doing that, but you can still contact me. I uh, am here on the network doing The Edge. I always have to think because I want to say the line, but it's they're so close in names. But The Edge is our podcast about discovery, and I do that with Patrick Devlin. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but favorite place right there in the Babel Conference. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com trekfm. That's patreo dot slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm.
2: We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trevuzio, Joe Keegan, Jim McMahon, and me, Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Trek FM, and especially Earl Grey.
0: So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey.
2: Miles Edward O'Brien.
0: Great joy and gratitude.